Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Nuss, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. In this edition, we're headed down one of Oregon's best known but often misunderstood rivers, the mighty Willamette. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, in this edition, we are talking about a stream that could not be closer to the vast majority of Oregonians. The Willamette River rolls through Oregon's three largest cities, from Eugene to Salem to Portland, in a basin that cradles more than two-thirds of the state's population. But despite a reputation as an urban and agricultural river, the Willamette offers far better recreation and scenery than you might expect. The Willamette Water Trail features a multitude of interesting floats and some pretty great camping all close to home. To talk about everything this river has to offer, we're joined today by Travis Williams, the executive director of Willamette Riverkeeper since 2000. Travis formed the first Paddle Oregon trip, led efforts to establish the Willamette Water Trail, and started the Great Willamette Cleanup. Travis, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so today we are going to talk about everything recreation-related on the Willamette, highlighting some great floats, some great camping spots around Eugene, Corvallis, Salem, and Portland. But Travis, I wanted to start here. I often find myself having to defend the honor of the Willamette. There's this narrative out there that this is a a dirty river unfit for swimming and recreation. So can you set the record straight? What is the health of the Willamette in 2021, uh, you know, especially compared to the past? Yeah, no, that's a common uh, theme that comes up that uh, people want to know about. The Willamette definitely was one of many rivers in the United States that was exceedingly dirty. Um, you know, the advent of the industrial age here in Oregon um, in the late 1800s and 1900s, uh, people started putting their waste in the Willamette. And as a consequence, I mean, over time, that built to the point where we had a very unhealthy river system in terms of um you know, low dissolved oxygen levels in the water itself, which would make it difficult for fish to actually breathe (laughs) at one point. Um, And so when uh, folks in the late 60s and early 70s, based on many decades of advocacy uh, for better wastewater treatment, um, we got a stream, a, a big river that is in much better condition than it was in the late 60s and 70s. Um, and we've continued on a trajectory that is uh, more positive, certainly by most every water quality parameter, um, the river is healthy to use for recreation. That's not to say it's pure, that's not to say it's perfect. There are definitely a host of things that we still need to deal with in terms of uh, different chemicals that are in the water column. But that being said, they are at very de minimis levels. And uh, so if you want to swim, typically, if you want to go paddling, if you want to go birding and splash around in in the water, um, it's safe to do that. There are times where there's an accidental spill or something comes up that could be problematic. And typically uh, the state will let you know or city will let you know that that occurred. But by and large, get out there, enjoy the river. The river is safe to use for recreation. You know, as you were talking, I was I was thinking about about some research I did on Salem's drinking water. And 
Man, the Willamette was in trouble like really early on. Salem gets its water from the North Sanium. And I, I think the reason was that when Salem was a young city, the Willamette was too polluted. Even by that point, early 1900s or like late 1800s. Yeah. It, that, that was pretty wild. What were people doing back then? Were they just dumping literally everything <laughs> that they, they could into the river in those early days? Yeah, exactly. And you think about uh, human waste. Uh, where did the sewer systems go? Um, and then what kind of treatment did you have um, early on when technology was not what we have now? That was the big advance, actually, in the early 70s when Tom McCall, and I stress many others because there were a lot of people who worked on this issue before Tom McCall came. Uh, certainly, Mr. McCall made a huge difference with his documentary, Pollution in Paradise, which kind of was a tipping point for the Willamette where we got... Uh, secondary treatment at the municipal wastewater treatment plants mm -hmm. so that uh, when the water was treated, uh, it would go back into the river in much better condition than it had just a few years prior. So when all the cities kind of came online, if you will, with better treatment, that made a huge uh, difference. And then the other piece of that was the treatment by the pulp and paper mills, which historically had been horrendous. Uh, kind of in keeping again with the municipal plants, the you know both of them had a huge role in diminishing water quality. So um, that is a big uh, a big advancement. And again, we still have issues today we need to deal with. Um, you know everything from microplastics being in the water and ever present to the many things that our treatment plants actually do not filter out, which I know sounds kind of disgusting. Uh, but again, keep in mind, these are typically at very de minimis levels. And in terms of your exposure to, to your skin or even ingesting the water, um, you're not going to get sick and you're not going to uh, have some malady based on that. Gotcha. All right. So our focus in this podcast is, is primarily going to be recreation and more specifically the Willamette Water Trail, something that I've always thought has a chance to even increase more in popularity given the the growing hunger for close to home recreation. So for you, what is the best or more, most interesting thing about paddling the Willamette? Like, what can you see out on the water? What kind of experiences can you have on the Willamette? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, it's the amount of access points, whether you're looking at uh, city access like Wallace Marine Park in Salem, uh, or Kaiser Rapids Park in Kaiser, you know, there are a, an abundance of access points and uh, public spaces that are very rural, they're undeveloped. Um, that is all linked to the Willamette River Greenway, which a lot of folks don't know about, but we have a wide array of properties from south of Eugene and Springfield all the way uh, down past Portland into the Multnomah Channel, where you'll have maybe a 10 acre property or a 200 acre property that is typically owned by the state. It's uh, these properties are open to the public to use, of course, utilizing leave no trace principles, but it's this assemblage of properties that I think strikes a lot of folks that maybe haven't been on the Willamette before. To me, that's what I notice. whether you're getting on at a developed boat ramp, paddling a couple miles downstream, you might suddenly uh, see a, a big, floodplain forest full of uh, cottonwoods and Oregon ash. And those Greenway properties from the Greenway program that was hatched in really the early 70s, thanks to Governor Bob Straub, um, you know, we actually have thousands of acres of land along the Willamette. Now, compared to some areas, it's not 
a huge amount of land. But right now, uh, the last count was about 15,000 acres that Oregon State Parks and Recreation uh, manages along the Willamette and uh, the Coast Fork and Middle Fork of the Willamette. So, so to me, that's the first thing that really is striking, that we have this public land and it's available. Uh, and of course, we need more of it too, but we can talk more about that. Gotcha. When you go out, and I know you do a, a lot of canoeing, you lead uh, Paddle Oregon. You know, what do you see? So what's your favorite way to experience the Willamette? Is it like a day float? Is it, um, you know, a longer camping trip? You know, what, what do you really like about getting out on the river, the experience? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll take any of that, honestly. But I think for me, it's the ability to take a solo canoe or a tandem canoe uh, down to the water, you know, put your uh camping uh, supplies in it and take off for a couple days or more. Um, you know, sometimes you could have a pretty clear idea of where you want to go or end up for a night of camping, that sort of thing. Uh, but other, other times you could leave it a little bit open and have a variety of places to choose from. And so when I'm out there, it's really kind of soaking in that overall riverscape, if you will, and the scenery and the bird life. Uh, and then the other wildlife that come down to the water's edge. And then, of course, when you're able to stop on uh, some of these public properties, you have a great opportunity to explore. Uh, some of them have trails that might lead you to, um, you know, different wildlife sightings that are in the floodplain. But all of that within the, uh, the and you kind of set this out at the, at the beginning, you know, we have this river that is kind of hiding in plain sight for many people who have not explored it or experienced it. And there's really a lot there. You could be pretty close to a town, but have relative solitude, relative quiet, and just really a great opportunity to kind of get away from it all in the classic sense. Then at the same time, you know, you can be only a you know half hour drive from your house. <laughs> um, so it's I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot to see and a lot of uh, just really beautiful scenery to soak in but you don't have to drive four hours to experience it. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing that's always uh, struck out to me is, you know, it can be like a, a regular morning and it's nice outside and you hadn't necessarily thought about like going on an adventure that day, but you know, it's nice out, you know, you got the morning, you look at the Willamette water trail map and you're just like, Hey, you know, I can just do this. I can make this happen. And it's not going to be this massive production. So what I'm curious about is every time I write about the Willamette water trail, I feel like, maybe it's a little underused based on the assets that you kind of talked about. So what have you seen in terms of the number of people recreating on the river over the past two decades when you've really been doing it? I mean, recreation has just been spiking statewide as the population uh, grows, goes up. Has, have you seen that trend on the Willamette or what, what are you seeing in terms of use there? Yeah, I think there's been a kind of a steady progression. And again, this is more of a, a sensibility I have rather than having this comment being backed up by empirical data. But, um, you know, whether you're in the stretch between Eugene and Corvallis or you're, you know, going between Independence and Kaiser, I think there are more people who are paddling kayaks, canoes, uh, folks are out drift boating and fishing, it does seem to me and others who've kind of examined this for a while that there are more people utilizing the Willamette. Um, mm -hmm. What we do know is that over the last 15 years, we have sold uh, well over 15,000 of our water trail guides. There's a, a two maps, one for the upper river and one for the lower. They're waterproof. Um, and those have been 
going out at a steady rate every summer uh, to folks who are both in Oregon and also, you know, well beyond Oregon, we'll, we'll get orders from all over the United States and Canada. Um, so I think that at the very least, people are thinking about traveling to Oregon or traveling to the Willamette if they're already in Oregon to do a river trip. Um, I think Oregon State Parks would agree in terms of some of those summer weekends where the weather's perfect and you've got uh, you know, perfect Saturday and Sunday to get out there. They see a lot of the campsites with tents on them and uh, paddlecraft nearby. So it, I think there, there is kind of a recognition that this is something that is worth exploring. I also think there's a lot of day paddlers out there too. We've seen certainly in the last year, a lot of people discovering greenway sites along the Willamette that had very little use in the past. And in fact, there's one uh, downstream of Salem, where folks were putting in uh, by the dozens in uh, you know inflatable tubes and that sort of thing. Last summer, they would go from Spring Valley access down to Grand Island access uh, and just float and enjoy the sun. And that was something that I had never seen before. So it was really surprising to see all these uh, you know kids, mostly uh, in their teens and twenties, out there just enjoying the summer day. And that, while that may not be um, the same type of water trail use that that I do. Um, it was great to see people out there enjoying the river. Gotcha. So um, we're going to talk about some of the best floats in three different areas. So Eugene to Corvallis, the Salem area, and the Willamette Falls and Portland area. But before we do, one thing I always hear about on the Willamette is the, the homeless issue. And it's a tricky one because here in Salem, there are some pretty large homeless camps on the river. So how do you think about that in the context of, of recreation, policy, and cleanup? Is this an, in, an issue you interact with a lot, or do you typically leave that to, to the cities? Yeah, we're, we're in the thick of that issue, and we have been actually for a long time, even though I think that the problem has gotten worse in just the last couple of years. It's been bad for a long time. Um, we have our River Guardian program, which is a program that uh, Michelle Emmons on our staff and Amanda Gallegos um, in the Portland area implement. And we take folks out, volunteers, and we go do cleanups. And we coordinate with the cities, whether it's uh, Salem or Portland or Eugene and Springfield, to try to address, typically they are homeless camps um, where a lot of material has been left behind for whatever reason. So. Um, you know, we're very hands-on. Generally, Willamette Riverkeepers like that as an organization. We like to be hands-on. We like to be out there um, and providing opportunities for people to help us in this work. And, and, you know, the homeless one, for all the variety of reasons, people are out there and it's not uniform. There's a lot of different stories and a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, we've probably, we, frankly, uh, we did a, a op-ed not long ago Kind of hitting on some of these themes that you know let's lose the judgment and figure out how we fix this problem and i think for those camps that have been clearly vacated and you have material that is not of value in the traditional sense or even the non-traditional sense we will go in and get that material so it does not get into the river and i know you know in the past year with some of the floodwaters we've had there was you know obvious uh, coverage of some of the creeks flowing into the willamette in the salem and kaiser area uh, where you had some of the homeless camps just getting inundated and a lot of material being swept away. Uh, we try to do what we can, and along with many partners and many folks who are involved with this, to to try to reduce the overall problem. And then, you know, frankly, um, 
from like now until October, there is plenty of material also to collect uh, along the river between the urban areas along the Willamette. Uh, anything that gets swept into the river, we will see it downstream somewhere else uh, away from folks. Uh, and for example, there is a full refrigerator right now on Wheatland Bar that has the door torn off of it, but uh, it floated down there and was able to get there. And I mean, that refrigerator is just kind of indicative of everything else that can be out there. So, and again, that's not to have people shy away for wanting to get in, in the water, because again, generally it's very, you know, uh, safe to do that. But I do think it's a motivating factor for a lot of folks that let's figure out this problem and fix it. Uh, because again, we, you know, our staff in the, the Eugene and Springfield area work continuously. And in fact, this month, if people are interested, we have, uh, I think about three dozen cleanups happening well uh, into June. So we really tried to prioritize that in the spring this year. We do it every year in, in October as well. Um, but if people are interested in that program, it's called the River Guardian Program. You can email us about how to take part and at least uh, get our calendar for how to sign up for these cleanup events. And due to COVID, we're keeping the, the group smaller. It's typically 12 and down, um, but every single one of these fills up really fast. And how does it uh, typically look? I mean, are you just bringing some big rafts out there and some garbage bags and, and taking garbage out of the water? Or what, is it, what does it look like if you volunteer yeah. for one of these programs? Yeah, so we provide opportunities to do it from land for folks who maybe don't feel as comfortable in a canoe or a raft. Uh, in Eugene, because the water is a little bit faster and we have some rapids there, Willamette Riverkeeper owns some rafts and we have some great volunteers with drift boats and rafts as well. Uh, that allow us to get in and get a, a lot of material on one boat. Uh, similarly, we'll take our big canoes out and collect material as well. So it's it's kind of a water-based and a land-based project. Um, and again, one that, you know, someday we hope we can end. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to take a quick break now. Uh, when we return, uh, Travis is going to talk about some of his favorite floats and campsites along the length of the Willamette from Eugene all the way up to Portland. So all that when we return. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air and water. And it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org. All right, welcome back. So Travis, one of the things I've found most helpful in planning trips on the Willamette is the water trail map. Yeah, I mean, it has every boat ramp, camping spot, river miles, just a, a ton of good information. Um, I think my favorite aspect is the pictures and the little write-ups even of the campsite. So I'm curious, you know, how did this resource come together and what's the best way to use it if you're, if you're wanting to plan a trip? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, it actually started with a group of folks in the Salem and Kaiser area back in uh, 2002 um, when different water trails, quote unquote, were being established around the United States. And to be clear, water trails are really, it's a way of 
packaging and marketing how to access a water body. So where do you go? What are the safety considerations? Where can I, you know, put my boat in, take it out? Where can I camp? All of those type of questions. Um, and there's a lot of river maps out there and they are great. I think the water trail concept just tries to do a little bit more in terms of uh, linking the whole thing up and trying to make it as easy as possible. So again, we have the beautiful Willamette River. It's a river, it's not a water trail, but the trail itself are all of these individual campsites and access points and other amenities that might be out there. So I think sometimes there's a little confusion about what does that actually mean? Um, but it came from a group of folks in the Salem area um, with the, the BLM and a couple other nonprofits that were around at that time. And there was a question about uh, how do we better link folks to the Willamette? And the resounding response among you know, several options was, well, let's, let's grab onto this water trail concept. And there were a few uh, meetings. There was a meeting in Newburgh and Kaiser and Salem and Independence. And the folks on that stretch decided to develop a map so we came up with the first uh, map in 2003, which is a 35 mile map. And then the two following years that got expanded to the upper map, uh, which was the Coast Fork, Middle Fork, and then down to the Buena Vista Ferry. And then the year after that, the lower river, uh, really it's the lower half of the river from Buena Vista all the way to the Columbia. So that was the map process. And then after that came a, a webpage, it was fairly basic. In the last few years, we were able to upgrade the web page. So, so there's a lot of good information about where you can camp. Uh, how do you do a shuttle, for example? That's always an interesting question. If I'm putting on at a, a certain site and I paddle 40 miles downstream, how do I get back? Uh, so kind of working through some of those logistics. Um, but that's uh, sort of how the whole thing got going. And back then, actually, it was uh, Governor Kulangoski who was uh, – pretty excited about the concept and the folks at Oregon State Parks at that time who put a bunch of energy into it. And then the uh, National Parks uh, Service Rivers and Trails Program also put energy and funding into it. And uh, the BLM actually played a role in there too. They funded uh, some of the printing of the guides and um, there were other, other partners in there too, but we kind of had some of those big entities who said, you know what, let's make these maps, let's figure out uh, how we're gonna pay for them and get them designed and printed. Um, and right now we are in the throes of making a new river guide. It'll be on poly art paper, which is waterproof. And it's gonna update everything that has uh, been kinda uh, become old over the past 15 years and uh, or out of date, I should say. Um, and we're gonna consolidate those two guides into one guide. It'll be a more true to life type map um, and there'll be a lot of new information. So we think we'll be able to finish that in the fall. And by the time the uh, you know, next spring rolls around, we'll have a great new resource that people can carry along with them. Wow, that's that's great. Um, because it, you're right, you know, when it's it's one thing to talk about a river and say, you know, you can float down it and there's cool stuff, but it's just it's another to like physically look at a map either on a computer or, or, you know, in your hand and say, oh, cool, like here's this island and this island, here's this campsite and this campsite, and here are the places I could take out depending on how I want to go. So like having that map, that's always something that gets me really, um, you know, energized. I guess the way that I use it typically is there's there's a PDF that you can find online. So I'll kind of print that off and, and bring that along. And then there's the the digital format where 
you can kind of like look at the different stuff. So when you're planning a trip or when you're encouraging people to do, do they usually look at like both of them and kind of put them together? Or how do people typically use it? Yeah, I think we have a lot of folks who order uh, the maps and we, you know, end up actually talking to a lot of people on the phone or uh, conversing with them over email. And a lot of the questions are the same and we have some good resources up on the website, but you know, at, at WillametteWaterTrail.org, that's the website. Um, you could go in there and say, look at the map of the river and select campsites. And then you can zoom in on those campsites and figure out uh, where they are, what river mile they're at, that sort of thing, and what amenities they may or may not have. Uh, and then you could sort of back that up with the the physical guide. So, you know, depending on what you like to do, you've got a couple options. Both of them work fine, or you could use them together. Um, and then typically when you're on the water, you know, whether you print it out like you, Zach, or uh, you bring uh, one of the, the waterproof guides, it's all the same. And again, it's not going to give you every detail, but it's certainly the, the goal is to help you understand where you are on the river and then what those public campsites are. Um, you know, the, on the Willamette, we don't have really big issues with people trespassing on private property. And we've taken pains to make sure that, you know, both on the website and in our guides, people understand that if you see a water trail sign, uh, whether it's a small Carsonite sign, those little kind of brown flexible posts that have stickers at the top, or a larger sign that has the water trail logo on it, that's a place you can legally be, you could camp there, uh, you can, you know, hang out for a couple of days or just spend one night. Um, but the goal is to really orient people toward those parcels so that we don't end up having any issues with trespassing and that sort of thing. Gotcha. Okay. And, you know, before we jump into like kind of talking about some of the specific segments, I wanted to talk about safety just, just real quick. You know, the Willamette doesn't have like, you know, the big whitewater, like the, the North Saniam or the Clackamas or something like that. But, you know, there's, there's issues every year, there's accidents every year. So what do you tell people to, to look out for safety wise uh, when they float the Willamette? Yeah, no, great question. Um, I was hoping to mention that. The the Willamette, when we think about it, it's certainly this time of year, it's the temperature of the water. So, you know, we've had some great messaging over the past uh, two to three months, I think collectively as a society about, you know, really watch it. Even though the air temperature is warm, the water is still very cold. So, uh, you know, being aware of the potential for hypothermia, if somebody did end up in the water for a few minutes is a very real thing. Um, Generally on the Willamette, we're thinking about trees and big root wads that are in the current that are basically an immovable object that your canoe or kayak or stand-up paddleboard or drift boat could potentially get into if you're not aware of your surroundings. So the Willamette has a few uh, class two rapids right in Eugene. And then when you get beyond that, you're looking at that stretch generally from Eugene to Corvallis. It has more moving water. Uh, you have channels that could change uh, more regularly from year to year and from season to season. And so it's always something that uh, the thing we really focus on is look downstream, understand where the current is going. And then, of course, understand how to move your craft if you are in current, because that's a very basic skill that people really have to have. But pay attention to what's downstream. We've seen a lot of uh, situations over the years where, 
you might have, uh, you know, a couple of folks in a canoe and a kayak kind of talking and they're looking around, they're enjoying the bird life and, and the peace and quiet. And they weren't looking downriver or they didn't see that little piece of wood bobbing in the water that their, their craft might end up on. And it could be enough to tip you over that sort of thing. So, uh, wood debris, as it's called, uh, again, those trees extending from the bank sometimes, uh, trees in the water that you could visibly see if you're paying attention, and then occasionally those pieces of wood that are floating here and there. Um, you know, that that's the biggest thing. And then I think when you get really into the, the lower portion of the river, you still have to be cognizant of that. Uh, but then you could also pick up some wind. Uh, you have to be you know, make sure you take plenty of water. Dehydration is a real thing in the summer months, especially if you're paddling a, you know, 15 or 20 mile stretch of river without a lot of current. So um, those are just some of the basics. And then of course, of course, always wear a personal flotation device. Um, you know, I think we've all seen people who, you know, not to make light of it, but boy, they were a great swimmer. How did they drown? And the reality is that, you know, when you're in the water, it's a different environment. There are currents below the surface that you may not readily see. Um, and again, it's not to have people in a mode of being scared all the time, but just, you know, wear your PFD. It makes the whole thing so much easier. You'll stay at the surface uh, if you do have an upset. All right. So now that we've kind of talked about the tools to get on the river with the, the water trail map, and we've talked about some of the, the safety aspects to, to think about, so why don't we start going down the river, you know, beginning uh, in the Eugene and Corvallis area in that kind of South Valley. So for you, what kind of defines that stretch of river? Um, you know, what makes it stick out compared to the rest of the Willamette? And what are some good floats in, in campsites you'd recommend in that area? Yeah, so it, it's a little bit of what I touched on in terms of the current uh, and the, you know, more current than the rest of the river typically. And when you're on that stretch, there are so many little islands and backwaters. There are tons of bald eagle. And frankly, there's bald eagle all along the Willamette, which is great. Um, shorebirds on that stretch are plentiful, greater yellow legs and uh, green heron, of course, blue heron. We have uh, egrets. Uh, and then, of course, all the migratory songbirds that visit the whole river. But that stretch has um, those kind of a little more unique attributes with the faster current uh, and relatively few towns. You know, you'll go once you leave Eugene and Springfield, let's say you're putting it at a place called Marshall Island Access. It's a great site. It's got a boat ramp. And once you get on there, the water's flowing pretty fast and uh, you're just cruising down the river and you're almost immediately passing some of the greenway sites that we spoke of earlier um, and again, all these sites, whether they're an island on your map or one of the larger um, greenway properties that Oregon State Parks own, such as uh, the Blue Ruin um, name I was mentioning earlier, which is just downstream of Marshall Island. It's just a great overall uh, stretch of river that is replete with opportunities for the public to camp and to relax. And one thing I should say, and I haven't said it yet, is that the Department of State Lands uh, which holds uh, the land and riverbanks in this case uh, and the uh, bottom of the river in trust for Oregon. So the public owns uh, the Willamette River. Um, we are able to utilize the uh, shoreline up to the average high water mark. And in doing that, when the water drops in the summertime, there's actually a lot of space. And oftentimes you'll have big gravel bar islands, which you could camp on. They're full of willows. 
Uh, you could find some of those on the stretch of river between Eugene and Corvallis. Uh, but again, that provides another resource for folks to think about if you're paddling down river and you see that campsite that you thought you were going to camp at and it already has people there, you're typically going to have another good to decent opportunity not too far away from that. It's really a, a, a great stretch of river. And then as you go um, you know, further downstream heading to the north, you'll go through Harrisburg. And then there is about a 20 mile stretch of river between Harrisburg and Corvallis. Um, and again, that that whole area is just replete with uh, wonderful sites. Willamette Riverkeeper actually owns a, an island there called Norwood Island, uh, which has an amazing freshwater mussel bed on the side channel. Thousands and thousands and thousands of freshwater mussels. And uh, just incidentally, a few years ago, we did a study of this mussel bed that showed that they're not reproducing. But uh, by and large, these mussels are many decades old each. They're about the size of your hand, uh, black shell, about six to uh, seven inches long in some cases. And those large mussels typically can be anywhere between 80 and 100 years old. So it's really kind of a phenomenal thing to see uh, when you see them on the bottom of the channel uh, filtering water. So, But um, on that property, we have a campsite at the bottom of it. And again, all the campsites are marked with a colorful sign. It has uh, what appears to be the front of a canoe and then the river channel going down river. It's about 18 inches by 18 inches. And at all those sites, you have the opportunity to camp. Um, below Norwood, you have Sam Dawes Landing, which is about a 300 acre greenway parcel. Uh, you could have multiple campsites there. They have one main area, but you're also allowed to camp at other, other less developed sites. Um, and just, you could spread out, you can hike inland, you can, you know, look around and, um, that's a really fantastic site. Gotcha. Well, any other, you know, either short floats or cool campsites in that Eugene to Corvallis area that, that stick out that, you know, if, if, if people want to get out there that, uh, they might want to check out. Yeah. A, a common place, uh, stretch that people do is, uh, from Peoria to Corvallis. And that's about, I think 14 miles. It makes a great day trip. Uh, there's a, a developed uh, access point of Peoria with a boat ramp and both power boaters and um, canoes and kayaks and others uh, get on the water there regularly. Um, and it, you can take your time, go out for the day and then take out a Corvallis. And that's just a really attractive stretch of river. It's a little less dynamic than what was uh, immediately above it. Uh, so for folks who are new to paddling, that can make a great introduction. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, let's move up to the uh, kind of Albany and then into Salem area, that kind of mid Willamette Valley. I'm going to jump in a little bit more here since I've floated pretty much everything uh, to the south and north of, of Salem, just, you know, and living in the city for quite a while now. And I guess what defines it for me is that once you get even a little ways outside of downtown Salem, it gets pretty quiet and scenic pretty quickly. Like my my favorite things are these kind of forested side channels, places around like Wheatland Island, the number of birds you talked about. There's a ton of great blue herons um, along with bald eagles. Great blue herons are my favorite bird. What else sticks out to you about the the mid valley area? How does the, how does the river change, and what do you think about when you start floating into that stretch? Yeah, the the river um, you lose a bit of that. Uh, multi-channel aspect that the upper river has. Uh, but the stretch between Corvallis and Albany, again, that's another great day paddle or even a half day paddle. And there's multiple ways to do that. So those two towns have a, a really nice series of, of parks that provide access and you could, you know, kind of mix it up 
depending on where you want to get on the water and get off. Um, and then from Albany down to Independence, that's another really sweet stretch of river. Uh, there's a couple of really uh, significant Oregon State Parks properties on that stretch, one of them being Lucky Mute State Natural Area, which is about 500 acres, I want to say. And that's right at the confluence of the Saniam and the Willamette and just a, a beautiful place. You see these two big rivers coming together there. And then the Lucky Mute comes uh, over from the uh, west side. And typically the rivers on the east side of the Willamette uh, have more water. Uh, they're more dynamic. And then you have the coastal rivers with a coastal origin uh, coming in from the west. So, you know, with those, I think of the Long Tom, you think of the Lucky Mute, uh, the Yam Hill, uh, the Marys, et cetera. And all of those have similar aspects to them. So, but as you're going down there, then you get into Salem and, and I agree fully. I think um, since I have been paddling that stretch more often uh, since Willamette Riverkeeper um, got a property uh, on that stretch. And uh, I've really come to love it because it has so much, you know, once you get uh, down past Kaiser Rapids State Park, uh, you're into a real rural landscape and lots of public properties along that stretch. Um, and it's just really gorgeous as well. Well, one of the things that I, I've noticed is that, you know, a little bit more recreation is springing up around uh, Wallace Marine. You've got Woodward Surf Company. They're, they're renting stand-up paddle boards and I think uh, doing shuttles and stuff. So have you seen a, a growth in, in interest in that in that Salem area? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think as you have more folks like Woodward Surf Company and others offering rentals and offering shuttles, you know, I think it just eliminates barriers that are sometimes tough for people to, to get through. And I think you look at cities like Independence, you've got that great new hotel right on the water. You've got a city that has actually for the last 20 years really embraced the Willamette in a big way uh, with their park. And they actually have a, uh, a water trail campsite there. It's got a restroom and a shower. And then it's just a short walk into town. Um, I think you're going to see more and more of this embrace of the river that comes with opportunities to uh, recreate and or uh, enjoy it in some other fashion. So it's I think the growth is there and I think you're going to see more of that. And again, if you think about the shuttle piece of that, that has been a big hurdle. You know, if you come in from out of town and you want to rent a canoe or a kayak and get some gear for a few days and then get to some point where you could put in and, and take out, that has been a real hurdle for folks that is now beginning to be met by folks saying, you know, we're offering this service, uh, please take us up on it. Gotcha. So now that we've kind of made it up to the, the Salem area, I wanted to mention two of my favorite floats. Um, so my favorite day float, just because it's so easy, has always been uh, Independence to uh, Salem's Wallace Marine Park. Or if you wanted to shorten it up, um, I've done it with kids a few times. We, we take out this email marks Lloyd Strange fishing hole um, instead of Salem, which kind of cuts it in half. Kind of this funky, funky little park um, that doesn't have a great boat ramp, but you can easily kind of pull out your you know, a canoe or a small raft. Um, so that's that's kind of my go-to for a quick uh, day float. For overnight, um, we just published a story about floating from Wheatland Ferry Boat Ramp to San Salvador Park, and that's just north of Salem. I brought my four and six-year-old kids, and we camped at uh, Nichols Sanctuary, which has a really nice camping spot that you recommended. It's got a hiking trail, a great beach, pretty good privacy. 
So any other floats in the Salem area um, that you'd recommend? Or um, I've heard you can stop at a couple breweries and wineries too. That's become a new thing out there, correct? <laughs> yeah, well, the, the unfortunately, the winery, which was called Arcane Cellars, is no more. Um, that family sold the property and we had heard that it was going to be um, uh, a couple of folks from Colorado coming in to continue the winemaking, but that didn't happen. So who knows? It might just be a brief hiatus, but right now uh, it's not a public property. But, um, you know, that stretch, again, it has a lot to offer. If you think of uh, you could put in a Kaiser Rapids State Park and just a few miles downstream is a big public property called Lincoln Access. Mm-hmm. And um, that provides some camping opportunities. If you go to the end of that property, which is a long peninsula, uh, you can walk inland. It's just a beautiful open area. You've got some evergreen trees, which are a little bit unusual, so low in the floodplain there. Um, and that's a property that really struck me when I walked it. It was only, gosh, I've been paddling by it for you know 20 years now. And I finally stopped and walked around. And uh, then I was questioning what the heck why hadn't I been there before? But um, just a really nice property. Then uh, we talked earlier about Spring Valley Access, and you've got the monumental Willamette Mission State Park, uh, which has a uh, you know long, interesting history at that site. And then immediately downriver, Wheatland Bar and a beautiful side channel uh, that then gives rise to another side channel, which creates Grand Island. And you've got Grand Island Access down that side channel, which makes a great put-in or take-out if you're on that side of the river. Um, or you could put in where the, the ferry landing is on, on the other side. So when you went on your trip, and, and that was a great story, by the way, loved the, the, the narrative and the photography. It was perfect. Um, and it kind of captures the essence of the Willamette. You know, you, it's a very approachable river. That's not to say that we don't have risks. And we talked about some of those. And, but you can be a relatively new paddler, new river traveler, uh, you can have some of the expertise you need and, and a general awareness of, you know, what to look out for. And you could go out there, you could take your kids uh, and enjoy the open space with relatively little risk to you uh, or your family and friends. Um, sites like the Nickel Sanctuary, which we received, gosh, what's it been, three, four years ago now, um, just add to what has already been there in terms of those public uh, spaces along the greenway. And we're actually looking to add more of those where we can and where it makes sense. Um, you know, sometimes there are uh, property owners who are, you know, changing how they manage a property, or maybe there's a, a generational change happening. And, um, you know, there are land trusts that do this type of work as well. But, you know, we can sometimes make a connection that could benefit both, you know, the ecological state of the river, but also provide more public space to get out there and enjoy. And so the the Nickel Sanctuary is a good example of that. Um, as you go downriver, though, there's some really cool sites. One of them is uh, Five Islands, which is immediately downstream of the sanctuary property. Um, just a beautiful side channel there and a lot of camping space on the main channel side of that. And then uh, one of my favorites that's really close to San Salvador is Candy Annie Bar. Uh, it is a DSL property, actually, but it has a full mature floodplain forest and if you go down the side channel, uh, there's a few posts right at the opening of a side channel. And, and that that happens on the Willamette. You just have to look where the current's going. These are old efforts to keep the river from going into those areas. 
But now typically all we have left, if anything, is you see some of those posts uh, that are, you know, many decades old in most cases. But you get through that and you just go down this beautiful side channel that's quiet and just a, a, a real treat before you take out at San Salvador. Um, at that particular site, there's also a lot of camping space on the main channel side. Uh, there's an official campsite at the top of that, and there's a sign there. But as you go down around this big inside bend on your right, um, you have just a huge gravel bar and a lot of willows and trees to you know set up camp. So it's a good spot. Yeah, you know the camping side of this is is interesting because you know you often don't think about camping on the Willamette that close to home, but it presents an interesting experience. Um, when you're out there, you feel like you're out in the forest. You could be on a much more remote river, you know, deep in the, in the wilderness somewhere, and you can get that feel there. But then occasionally, like you'll have helicopters mixed in, so it's this interesting combination of like feeling pretty remote, but then occasionally having like the trappings of civilization, like, you know, coming through there. So it's, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. And of course, road noise, I think is one of the biggest things. Um, and then you have certainly agricultural machines that are making noise depending on the time of year and that sort of thing. But it's that sound of the distant car, which I think all of us could use less of, right? Yeah. <laughs> or the not so distant car. Um, and there's a few spots along the river that you really you get away from that or you hear it very infrequently. One of my favorites, actually, is on that stretch between uh, Eugene and Corvallis called Harkins Lake. And it just somehow is insulated enough where you almost never hear anything like that and scarcely an airplane versus the sanctuary, which you wrote about, um, which is kind of equidistant between the McMinnville Airport and the Aurora Airport, and we've been dealing with over the last few years, helicopters and airplanes using that area, frankly, uh, in an excessive fashion. So we're trying to have discussions with those folks. Yeah, it was just interesting because it just it really captures like the the dynamic of the Willamette, where it's like you you can be on the river and in the forest and having a remote experience, and then you know, but wait, you're pretty close to Oregon's biggest cities. So it was yeah. In, in some ways, it was kind of fun to see helicopters like swoop down. The kids really enjoyed it, honestly, <laughs> like the first few times, and then you're like, wow, okay, well this is consistent. But it it just it captured that experience. You know, waking up in the morning, you hear you know, birds chirping and stuff like that. And then you hear like, you're like, what is that? It's like a little distant hum of traffic. And so it's just interesting. It's part of, you know, the the experience on the Willamette. Yep. So anyway, um, all right. We've talked a lot about the Eugene, the the Corvallis, the Albany, the, the Salem area. So the next area I have almost no experience with. So as you move closer to the Portland metro area and the Willamette Falls area, what defines that part of, of the Willamette and how do you recommend, you know, recreating, especially as you get into I, what has to be kind of like the big city uh, section of this river? Yeah, I, th I think the general feel and aspect changes once you get down into the Newburgh pool, which is roughly where the Yamhill River comes in, uh, about two miles downstream of San Salvador. And the geology of the surrounding area changes. So you lose the bit of gradient that the Willamette has generally, you know, that that view of a river where you can actually see it going downhill, that actually can be seen on the Willamette uh, in several spots, which is surprising because it's such a big river. But uh, once you get to the pool, it's, it's as the name would imply, it's flat. Uh, there's not a lot of current unless you're, you know, there in the spring or winter where you've got, you know, a lot of water. Um, and you start to get more power boats as a consequence. Um, 
that's a whole other topic in terms of what types of power boats are out there these days that that might not work so well for everyone else on the river. Um, but you know, you've you've got fewer uh, overnight camping spots. Uh, there are some notable exceptions. One of those is Shampooey State Park, where there are options to camp at that historic site, and it's a wonderful state park. Uh, similarly, at Malala River State Park at the confluence of the Malala, uh, you have to call ahead, but they'll allow you to, to camp there. Um, and after that, you have to drop down below Willamette Falls, uh, which is not passable at the present time in uh, canoe or kayak or any other boat. Um, because the locks are closed. So the historic locks that we've had there for going on, I guess it's been 150 plus years. Um, they are closed at present. Uh, maybe that they are able to reopen in the next few years, but that's a whole other process that's working now to try to make that happen. Uh, so if you're paddling the whole river, you have to find a way to portage there. And usually that means getting in a vehicle, uh, ferrying all your stuff uh, down below the falls and getting back on the water. After that, your options are pretty much uh, to, to camp for an overnight trip uh, with the sound of the suburban area uh, all around you where the uh, Clackamas River flows into the Lamet at uh, Goat Island. That is a DSL island. It is legal to camp there. Um, and then after that, you pretty much have one long shot all the way to the Columbia. Now, that being said, for day paddling and that sort of thing, great opportunities for that. Uh, Willamette Narrows is just a couple miles up from where the Tualatin Confluence is. And that's an area that has a combination of property that's owned by the Metro Regional Government, as well as um, uh, or the state of Oregon, actually. And there's some really rare wildflowers in that area and others that are less rare, but still very uh, unique to see um, on kind of the rocky basalt bluff there. Um, and we encourage a lot of people to go up there and, and there's a beautiful side channel with a waterfall coming into it as the creek comes in and uh, just a really great, you know, two or three hour paddle. You can, you know, extend that paddle how you'd like. Uh, but that's a wonderful attraction in that area. And then frankly, paddling up to Willamette Falls when the water is low, you can get surprisingly close to the the base of the falls and just kind of soak that in and, and realize that you're really in what is a geologic marvel at that point. It's a pretty unique uh, waterfall. And again, the drop there is 40 feet. And you try to imagine what it must have looked like before we had all the industry that came in in the 1800s uh, when people who have been here for thousands of years were fishing at, at their accustomed sites and they still fish there. Uh, but obviously it was a much different scene back then. And um, I would point out too, that for those folks who don't know, uh, the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde have purchased the old Blue Heron uh, Paper Company site, which is on the Oregon City side of the river. And they are beginning plans to redevelop that site. So it really could be a fantastic place going from something that um, was amazing historically that then had a whole other period of heavy industrialization with, you know, everything that comes with that. Uh, and then here we have the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde uh, continuing to embrace that site, but doing it in an even bolder fashion now uh, with their redevelopment of that site. So it'll be interesting to see what they're, what they're going to be doing here over the next few years there. And I would say the same thing of the whole falls, you know, whether you're on the Westland side of the river or the Oregon city side, those communities and the state and the confederated tribes and other tribes as well, um, really, you know, the, the tribal piece of it with Lambeth Falls 
Um, there's a lot of love for that area. And then you have these cities now that are embracing the falls and realize that, wow, this is a, a pretty amazing thing we have right at our doorstep. And so people are really trying to figure out ways how to connect with it. So there's a lot that can be said on all those subjects I just mentioned. I'm just barely touching on them, but uh, stay tuned for what's going to be happening at those sites. Well, Lamette Falls, I mean, that could I mean, that could be its own podcast in and of itself. Just exactly. I remember uh, as you were talking about it, uh, that was the site of the first power line ever strung in the United States. It was from Willamette Falls at, a, at like a very early PGE generating station, had a different name back then. And then they strung the power line to downtown Portland. And that was like the first electrical like transmission line. In fact, in my book, uh, The Willamette River Field Guide, which is now out of print, but I've got a section on that. And one of the old... Um, kind of artistic drawings they did of that transmission line back then sort of celebrating what an accomplishment it was. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, the other, well, I mean, I, one thing I'm curious about is sounds and the, the way you're describing it, it makes sense that um, once you get into that more urban area, the Willamette Falls area, it's a, a little bit more of a, a, a day site. And I've, I've heard that people are using stand-up paddle boards a, a lot more around there as a way to kind of, you know, there might be that current, but you can kind of get a little more excitement by having the stand-up paddle boards and like doing the day trips. Does that, that sound about right? Yeah. And the cool thing in the Portland area is there are a lot of day trip options and Typically, unless the river is really cranking, you could put in at one site and come back to that site. So you don't have so much current uh, that makes it impossible for you to get back to your, you know, to the put in. So that in terms of flexibility, that makes it really nice. So whether you're in Milwaukee or Oregon City or West Lynn or Selwood or right in, you know, the heart of downtown Portland, um, there's quite a few great options. And on the east side of Ross Island, that entire channel, which is about three miles long, in addition to the lagoon, um, that is a no-wake zone. So in terms of being able to connect with nature a little more easily and the the nearby Oaks Bottom Refuge is right there, um, there's actually a lot to see right in the heart of that Ross Island area. All right. Well, we have covered a really long stretch of the main stem Willamette from Eugene to, to Corvallis up to Salem and in the Portland area and kind of talked about all the different things that make, makes each section unique. So anything we missed or that you wanted to, to mention before we sign off and the Willamette kind of heads into the Columbia River? Yeah, I think, again, it's, you know, it, it's kind of that river that hides in plain sight and uh, people have not really been attracted to it over the years in comparison to other recreational opportunities in our region. But now I think people are really discovering the river in a different way. And I think it's, it's like a lot of things. Once we, you know, we've gotten thousands of people on the water over the years through Willamette Riverkeeper and our different programs. And when people get out there and they've never been on the river, they come away with a whole different perspective. And it's very basic and intuitive reality, but we see that uh, almost to a person every time we get folks out there who have never been on it before. And one thing that's happening right now, actually, is that the state of Oregon through Travel Oregon and also the Willamette Valley Visitors Association, uh, those two entities working in concert have really embraced the river and what we've been doing and all of our partners, uh, including Oregon State Parks and the many cities and counties who are part of the water trail. Um, and collectively, we are kind of really making a a push to show people you can get out there, go have some fun for a couple hours or a couple of days. Um, there's a great resource for you. So that's a really cool thing that's happening right now. So I would say uh, get out there and have fun. It's all about having fun at the end of the day. 
uh, if you can make that happen. And I think the Willamette uh, can really help folks do that. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking uh, your time to talk through all the cool stuff you can do on the Willamette. So thanks again, Travis Williams, the executive director of Willamette Riverkeeper. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, you bet, Zach. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Explore Oregon podcast. We hope you gained a bit of appreciation for the Willamette River and the opportunities for outdoor adventure hiding in plain sight. If you like what you heard, make sure to check out previous episodes at statesmanjournal.com explore. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, the American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for the environment, for our economy, and for our future. Learn more at amforest.org. Thanks for listening.